Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Blackhawk. My name is Tiffany, and I'm the pastor of spiritual formation uh, here at Blackhawk. And you guys, today is going to be a little bit of a different kind of Sunday. So um, for some of you, if you've been around for the past few weeks, uh, you might have heard that we have been planning on doing our yearly vision message today, where Pastor Matt uh, comes up here and he tells stories about how God has been moving in our community as well as uh, what this next year might look like for us. And I think he mentioned it a couple of weeks ago in his sermon. I know he was really excited to be able to share that with our community. Uh, but as things do, sometimes things change. And so uh, recently, Matt and Rachel, they had gone down to Florida to be with Matt's parents, Guy and Margie. Um, Guy hasn't, hadn't been doing very well physically, and so Matt and Rachel wanted to be able to, to get down there and spend some time with them. Well, while they were down there, uh, Guy, Matt's dad, his health kind of took a turn for the worse. And so we felt like it was really important for Matt to be able just to be there uh, with him, spend some time with him. And so um, actually this past Monday, uh, Guy passed away. And so um, our hearts are just grieving with Matt and Rachel, with the girls, uh, Matt's mom, Margie, and just their whole family. And so um, I know that uh, they would love for you to keep them in their prayers as they walk through um, this time of grieving and just taking care of some details. Um, I know for many of you, you have been praying for them. And so on behalf of them, I just want to say thanks so much um, for your care and your support. Um, Matt and Rachel, they're back here in Madison, and they will be joining us uh, tonight for our congregational meeting. So you'll be able to see them there. All right. So with that change, you know, Pastor Charles and I were talking, uh, okay, so what do we want to do today? Uh, <laughs> so we thought this would be a great opportunity for us to uh, just take a look at this past series that we've been in, the Live This Book series, where over these past nine months, uh, we've been talking about um, the Bible as a story and how seeing how all the small parts uh, fit together as a whole. And so we thought, you know what, this could be a great opportunity for us to, to recap that story in maybe a little bit of a unique way. And so uh, some of you are new, you missed the first part of that story. And so to get on that same page this morning, let's go ahead and watch this explainer video together. The story begins with a God who has a plan. He crafts a beautiful world for himself to be his domain. And he populates the world with beings called humans creatures who resemble him. And God invites these humans into partnership with him by giving them the authority to run the world for him. But alas, these humans don't want to run the world for God. They want to run the world for themselves. So they rebel against God. And the result is that the entire world falls into darkness, corruption, and death. But this is a determined God he doesn't give up. He calls into existence a new people called ancient Israel. They are to be God's people, and God invites his people to partner with him on the mission, to live out God's character in order to attract the rebellious world back to him. But alas, God's people don't want this mission. They want to be like every other people, so they rebel against God, and God destroys ancient Israel and sends his people into exile. Again, this is a determined God. 
This time, he sends his own son, named Jesus, into the created world. Not just to be a human, but to be the king. Jesus recruits a people, those who are tired of this broken world, those who are yearning for a new way of being human. And Jesus dies to reconcile this new people to God and to each other. With his death on the cross and his resurrection, Jesus creates the new people of God called the church. This new people, drawn from every tribe, every nation, every ethnicity, are united in Jesus and are empowered by God's Spirit to accomplish the mission, to live out God's character in order to attract the rebellious world back to Him. The story ends with this promise. A day is coming when Jesus will return and He will restore God's kingdom on earth. A kingdom populated by God's people, those who pledge their allegiance to Jesus as their king. And this broken world will be restored, filled with light and life without end. All right, you guys. Well, Charles, welcome. Thanks. I'm excited to be able to interview you today. I don't know if you guys know this, but actually, Charles is the person who designed the, the Live This Book series. And so I'm excited to be kind of going through each of this. Yes, clap. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, each of these, each of these uh, seven plot points and just hearing more about what you were hoping for as you were kind of creating this yes. series. And so thanks so much for joining. Yeah, thank you. Good. Okay. All right. So let's start at the beginning. That's a great place to start. So um, the first section that we um, went through during the series was God's plan for humanity. And so this was an interesting one, though, because we spent four weeks on it, but it actually only covered two chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. That's it. Yeah. So tell us more about why so much time on such a small amount. Yeah. Well, first of all, the book of Genesis is kind of the foundation, theological foundation of the whole Bible. You just, it, you can't spend enough time on the book of Genesis. Everything starts there. Um, but for us, we really need to spend some time knowing who God is. And so, so this first section, God's plan for humanity, we have a, a God who creates heaven and earth, creates space and invites humans into community with him. Right? And then the humans are intended to image God. That's, that's kind of like, that's, every, that's, that's the back, backdrop for the whole story. Um, the one big thing I was hoping that we would get out of this as a church, as a congregation, I think this is one of those things where when I say it, you're going to go, I know that already. Okay? But what I want, I really want people to know this, is that we have a personal God who is all about relationships. Okay? He is a relational God. And I know you know that. When people say, oh, oh God, what, what is he? Oh, he's, he's a personal God. I know you know that. But see, the, the hard thing about this is that we have been ingrained in our culture. It's indeed, the Christian history, theological history, has pushed us against that for, for a couple thousand years. It's just, here's what happened. I know those of you who study philosophy and theology, I'm, I'm, I'm not digging deeply enough. I know I'm just going to be very brief. But the church became heavily influenced by Greek philosophy very early on in church history. And in Greek philosophy, the idea of God is that he is a perfect being. And in Greek philosophy, a perfect being is a being that cannot change, right? Think about it, right? If God is perfect, if he changes, well, he's no longer perfect, right? Because he changed. 
Or let's say the God is now perfect, but he changed to get there. That means he wasn't perfect before. So within the system of Greek philosophy, God cannot change, which means God cannot experience emotions. God cannot be affected by human beings, which means he cannot be relational. You cannot have a relationship with somebody that you cannot affect. Nothing's going on, okay? Nothing's happening. So God becomes reduced to a, to a set of principles, a set of ideas, very static, right? And that, for the longest time, has been the view of God, which means in, in many churches today, um, and, and for many Christ followers, you walk into a church, what does it mean to know God? Well, here's a list of propositions for you to believe in. Here's a list of things you should know about God, and these are true statements, and you should know that, and that's what it means to know God. Now, now let me just be clear, right? It's important to know theology. Okay? I'm the last person who's, who would tell you, don't know theology, don't care about theology. I care about theology. But if you think knowing God is knowing a bunch of propositions, well, reading the Bible as a story should just blow that idea up completely. Right? The God in the story it is a personal God, a relational God, who is seeking long-term committed relationship with people and people groups, with individuals and groups of people. And more than that, he's affected by people. You read that, and most of us are just like, wait, what? One human being says something, and God says, okay, that makes sense. I'm going to do that. You're like, wait, well, you can't do that, God. How can you do that? God relates to people. God changes the course of human history based on actions of individuals. Based on what Abraham did, God changed something. Based on what David did, God changed something. Based on what Moses did, God changed something. He, is, he opens himself up for relationship with people. And, and, and that's the hope here. That's the hope is that my hope is that for, the, for, for our church, you would have an encounter with this being. Right? You would have an encounter with this creator, creator God of the universe. Right? Not just know him as theological propositions and truths, but to actually meet him. Good, good. Okay, so that laid a strong foundation for us as we moved kind of to our next. So Genesis 3 comes next, and there's already kind of a, a, a plot twist very early in the game. Yeah. So we enter into this next section, uh, Humans Rebel. So tell us more about that one. Well, we have the main conflict of the story, right? This, this is the conflict that sets up the rest of the story. God's plan, well, if God's plan was easy, then the story would be kind of boring. <laughs> so no, we, we run into the problem. We have the problem of serpent-human rebellion, and, and God, humans don't want to do what God is envisioning for them to do. And, um, and the serpent sermon, I think, really sets this whole story up. We have to understand that the world we live in is within the context of conflict, a conflict between God, who is trying to make it a certain way, and then spiritual forces who are opposed to him. And what is our role? What is human being within this larger conflict? Well, this is very important to understand. Sometimes we think, oh, God is fighting it out with somebody else. Can we be like Switzerland? Can we be neutral in this? And so I, this is where the part that's like, I, I hate to tell you this. We can't be neutral. We're the land they're fighting over. Okay? We're the land God and the, uh, and, and the opposing spiritual forces are fighting over. We, every one of us is born into a state of spiritual rebellion against God. And God's trying to woo us back. He says, come, join my side. Be on my side. And if you don't do anything, you stay in rebellion. You have to take action to join God. And, and our world is broken because of this action, because of the struggle. 
Our relationship with God is broken. Our relationship with each other is broken. Our relationship with the entire created order is broken. There's so much going on that's wrong with our world because of this. The Bible explains it this way. It's good. Okay, so, so God wants to woo us back, and he does this by choosing a people, right? right. Which brings us to the next section. And so, oh. That's good. That's good. The previous, the previous <laughs> one. one. Yeah. Yeah, so in this, uh, in this section, God chooses a people, we, yeah. we looked at different characteristics of God. Yes. Uh, characteristics of God's people. So it was a list of, of different stories. Right, right, right. It's a, I think it's the previous slide, if we can find it. Um, oh, wow, we just literally lost the slide. Oh. Gotta love it. <laughs> well, if you can imagine, we talked, yeah. we went through, it was, it was the longest, the longest yeah. section It was the longest section. It was like, what, nine, nine sermons? That's right. Yeah, yeah. We, we covered a whole bunch of stories about about. God choosing Abraham and his descendants to form a kingdom. And, and it's, I, it's my, frankly, it's my favorite section. Tell us why. Well, okay. <laughs> it's my favorite section. That's why it's the longest. There you go. Uh, what's going on is this. Okay, New Testament tells us a lot about what does it mean to be a Christ follower and what does it mean to be the people of God, which makes sense. Um, but a lot of it's kind of instructive. Like, hey, you should do this. You should do this. Right? Jesus says, hey, you should do this. You do the Paul says, do this, do this. Okay, great. What, what's, what's great about this section is the Bible tells it to us in story form. And, and I, what I love about it, you know, you have, you have God calling Abraham and establishing a covenant with him, and he, 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 he learns how to pray in ways that are really un, unexpected. Um, he's a faithful person. People become people, wise people. But, but my favorite story is the story of Judah in that sermon on people of self-sacrifice. Self that, that was my favorite story in the Bible. If you guys remember, and if you don't, it's okay. Um, Judah, he's, uh, he's part of the, the family that God has chosen, and, um, and that is a very dysfunctional family. Um, the father of the family says, I like one kid, my son, Joseph. He's my favorite. I love him. All the other brothers, I don't really care about you guys. And the other brothers are so angry, they sell Joseph into slavery, into Egypt. Judah was the ringleader. He came up with a brilliant idea to sell his brother Joseph. That's him. He starts off as that guy. And then we have a story of transformation. I, I, I don't know. I, this is, I, I, get, <laughs> I get emotional when I think about this story. Because what happens to him is he loses his wife. He has three boys. First two dies. He has one kid left, his youngest son. And now he's doing something to protect his son. And he's doing something unethical to protect his son. And he gets called out on it. But whatever happened through that story, he's come to realize the heart of a father. And so at the very end of the book of Genesis, we reach in the climatic moment where Judah now says, I'm going to offer myself up as a slave in Egypt to save my youngest brother named Benjamin. He's now the new favorite. Okay? Benjamin was going to stay in Egypt and be a slave. And Judah says, I'm going to give up my life. I will be a slave for the rest of my life in Egypt so that Benjamin can go home and see his dad. I want my dad to be happy. I don't care about anything else. That story is the climax of the book of Genesis. It's telling us something about the people of God. The people of God are people who sacrifice themselves for the sake of their brothers and sisters for the love of the Father. And that's Judah. And from him, the book of Genesis ends with, oh yeah, by the way, you know the line of kings, the one who will restore everything will come from? It will come from the line of Judah. 
from his descendants will come the one who will sacrifice his own life for the sake of God's people, for the love of the Father. You see how the Old Testament creates, sets up the story that the New Testament is a resolution for, right? This is just, I'm jumping ahead, so sorry. so powerful. <laughs> I'm jumping this is great. Ahead, I'm sorry. This is so good. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a great section. If you get a chance to read this part, Genesis chapter 12, all the way to, uh, well, all the way to actually, um, First Kings, thank you. It's a pretty long section. So there you go. We can work on that this week. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so God chooses a people, calls a people. Um, they're being formed into his image, but humans. They rebel. Rebel again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have, we have, we did five uh, uh, sermons on this. And, um, like here are the big ideas we really want people to, to grasp onto. First of all, sometimes people have this idea that, oh, God is just looking for perfection. And that's why he gets so angry. Okay? That is not what happened. Okay? God calls together a people to do two things. One, to have a relationship with him, to love him and be loved back. Right? God loves them, they love him back. Really a committed relationship. And then second, they are to live out his image, to reveal God to the rest of the world, so the world will be going, oh, that's what God is like. Oh, that's what living with God is like. I want to be part of that kingdom. I mean, I mean, Israel, I mean, God even said it, like, hey, if you guys do it right, there'll be no poverty. You will have no poverty in your country. Imagine, imagine a nation today that has zero poverty, zero crime, happiness index off the charts. What do you think the rest of the world would do? We'd be like, how do they do that? Right? And a nation that says, oh, Oh, we worship Jesus. That's why. Imagine. Okay? That was God, God's plan. Well, that didn't work out for, for, for two major reasons in the Old Testament. They make, the Old Testament make it very clear why, why, why God got so angry. Number one is idols. They worship other gods. It wasn't like they messed something small up. No, no, it wasn't a small thing. It was huge. They broke their relationship with God. They had other gods. Remember that sermon that Matt did on idols? I think there were, there were the paper plastic, bags the paper across bags. the table where right. we talked about the different idols that we have in our lives. Right, money and power and ambition image. And, and image. Yeah. And, and, and he tried, he put bricks in there and he tried to lift the bags and the bags just breaks because idols cannot support our lives, right? But in the story of the Old Testament, they were worshiping idols left and right and God's like, this isn't working. <laughs> where do we, where, on the most foundational level, the relationship is being broken. And then the other thing that God said is you're supposed to live out my image. Well, three, people, three groups of people the Old Testament talks about you need to protect. Right? Orphans, widows, foreigners. Three groups of people. They have no power. They have no legal rights. They're not connected to other clans that can protect them. And so God said, Here's how I'm going to show the rest of the world. Because all the other world, okay, every, every country in the world oppressed the powerless. Just, just what you do. That's just human. God says, not you guys. You will be different. You will protect those three groups of people. They didn't do it. They didn't do it. And so God sent them into exile. And Charles, do you remember, I don't know if you guys remember how you ended this section, this one about hope. It was a little bit of a different kind of sermon. You practiced your acting skills <laughs> during this sermon. It was excellent. Yeah. So, so tell us about this, because I think it was really important, because so often we see the Old Testament and we see the New Testament as two really kind of different, unconnected stories, but you helped us to connect those in a really important way. We wanted that sermon to be a 
um, to reset, right? So, so think about, so the, the people of God are in exile in Babylon and they have a new generation that's come up. And that new generation knows nothing of Israel. They don't know anything. They're living in Babylon. They're like, what are we doing here? So the story of the Old Testament is just a story to them. They didn't live it. And so what I wanted to do is I, I, I kind of acted out as a rabbi in Babylon trying to explain the Old Testament to the younger generation that's growing up. And what I wanted to do is help us see, get prepared for the New Testament. Because the New Testament audience are people who know the Old Testament really well. Okay? And they are, and they're going to anticipate the New Testament, as a conclusion to this entire story. So, look, at, look at, I, know, I know I'm saying this because I'm an Old Testament scholar, but, but, but really, it's true, okay? Uh, you can't really read the New Testament without the Old Testament. We, we say this here at, Bible, at, at Blackhawk all the time, the Bible's not written to us before us. And what we mean by that is there's an original author, and he's, write, he's writing to the original readers, and we're always trying to read the Bible through their lens. Well, okay. What do the New Testament writers want? They want and expect you to know the Old Testament. Go back to the first century, 40s, 50s, 60s, in the first century. Christ followers, what are they reading? The Old Testament. They, they don't have a New Testament, okay? Matthew hasn't written it. Mark hasn't written it. Paul's just writing a couple letters. A couple churches got their stuff. Nobody else is reading anything except the Old Testament. They're, that's all they have. And so when the New Testament writers are writing, they're going, my audience know the Old Testament inside and out, and I'm going to help them understand how Jesus is the final chapter. Okay? That's how it works. I mean, look, at, look, at, look how Matthew starts. Matthew starts with genealogy that traces Jesus all the way back to Abraham. How does Luke start? Genealogy traces Jesus all the way back to Adam. Mark begins by quoting Isaiah chapter 40. Hey, this is a new return from exile. John, I love how John starts. How does John start? In the beginning. What is he doing there? Connecting his book to Genesis chapter 1, which also starts with in the beginning. But Jesus, what John is saying is, look, the initial creation, God creating the world, that's epic. That's huge. Well, guess what? God becoming human and coming into our world is on the same level as part of this epic storytelling. God creates the world. This creator God now enters into the world. If you don't know the Old Testament, you miss that when you're reading John. So good. I know I've been even in the New Testament over these last couple of months and in my own personal reading, it has been surprising how often I see some of the themes that we brought up in a different way. So that's so good. All right, so this next, uh, this next section was Jesus as king. So Jesus is here. In this section, we talked about um, who Jesus is being both fully uh, God and fully human. Uh, we talked about the nature of his kingdom, and then we spent quite a few weeks on the cross, actually. And one of the things, as I'm thinking about uh, this section, I don't know if, if you're around, if you remember this, but uh, on the week that we talked about God being fully human, uh, Pastor Chris, he uh, was, uh, he invited us up at the end uh, to receive prayer. And I know for me, um, participating in that here at Braid Away, but also hearing um, about stories from all the different sites of how um, people really experience God, God's love in really a, a, a tangential, real way that maybe they hadn't experienced in a long time through yeah. receiving 
the prayer of people. And so one of the things I like about this is it's not just like changes us as a, for a day, but sometimes these messages change us as a community. And so one of the things that some of us have been talking about is that we've just really seen people move towards prayer in a more beautiful way after, after this message, seeing people um, pray more in the atrium for one another, hearing stories of how um, to even different people at the different sites coming up to others and, and offering to pray for them. And so it's been just really, a really cool um, kind of moment for our community. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's God becoming human and being physical, being tangible, and realizing that we are God's body. I'm jumping forward again, but we are the tangible expression of who God is and who Jesus, what Jesus is doing. And so that's, and that's, and being that for each other is actually huge. Yeah. 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 Charles, as you think about this, about yeah. this section, what stands out to you? What are some of the reactions maybe um, that we had as a community? Yeah. I, I had a lot of feedback on the, on the cross, uh, the two sermons on the cross. Um, and um, and for, there's a reason for that. The reason for that is because I've been anticipating these two talks from the very beginning, and I kind of set up the whole series for it. These, these were intended to be the climax of the story. Be because when you read the Bible as a story, it changes how you read the cross, right? If you don't have the Old Testament, okay, Jesus died for us, our sins are erased, our sins are forgiven. And that's absolutely true. But once you start reading the Old Testament, you start realizing, oh my gosh, the Old Testament is setting up the cross all the way through right? You start with a God who wants to be with us, okay? And then you have, oh, God wants to create a covenant, okay, with Abraham, with Moses. And guess what? The cross starts the new covenant. Oh, uh, God wants to, 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 to God rescued his, his people out of Egypt, out of oppression. Oh, guess what? The cross rescues us as a new Passover, rescues us out of, out of sin and oppression. God wants to build the temple, and with this, there was this day of atonement sacrifice, well, guess what? Jesus is the new temple, new day of atonement sacrifice. All of these categories in the Old Testament are set up for the cross, and the cross becomes the absolute climax of the whole story in which we, all of us, are united with Jesus. And that's kind of the, 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 the crowning part of the story. It's absolutely amazing climax. So beautiful. And then, and then, so that leads us right into the Empowered Church, which is yeah. our next section. Because we are united in Christ, that, that's... Here we are, Here the we body are. of Christ. Yeah. I, you, you like your favorite is God chooses the people. This is my favorite. <laughs> this is my well, favorite section. Well, I, I remember that first talk. You, you, you and Matt were up here, and, and you said something about, hey, we're all in Christ, and because of that, we, we belong to each other. Right? The, 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 the church is something unlike anything else in the world. It is a community created by God, sustained by God, shaped by God, empowered by God. There's nothing else like it. By being, part, by being part of Jesus, you're now part of a community that is united. Okay? This flows right out of union with Christ. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, very obvious. You're in Christ, therefore you have the Holy Spirit. Community in transit was about the fact that the church is multicultural. right? And, we, and even the song we're saying today, in the song in Spanish, Hannah was reminding us, yeah, all around the world right now, people are worshiping God, different languages, different culture, different ethnic groups. This, this is a massive multicultural vision, multicultural kingdom that, that God wants to, 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 make, to, to make true and make happen in this world. Yeah. And then the final one. So, sorry, sorry, the, the mission. Yeah, sorry. The mission is hard. This, is, this was, a, I think, okay. 
this section, you like this section the most. Yeah. I find this section the most challenging because it's talking directly to us. Yeah. And we're called to image God, right? Well, in the Old Testament, imaging God means, hey, God's a king. Awesome, image a king. Who wouldn't want that? God has power. God has glory. God, imaging God, that sounds great. New Testament church, we image Jesus. Huh. Jesus has power. Yes, he does. He has glory. Yes, he does. What else does he have? He has the cross. Theologians have this term called cruciform. That Christians are, are called to live a cruciform life. The church is the call to have a cruciform existence. Cruciform means the form, the shape of the cross. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross. Paul talks about this repeatedly, that, that we want to image and reveal God's Jesus' glory, but we also image him, his suffering in our bodies. Right? This is one of the harder talks because, um, and I'll just, you know, let's, let's get right into it. Um, throughout church history, there's been times when Christ followers have become a majority in a, in a country, and we gain power. And we use that power to reshape the culture to make it easier for us. And we've been doing that. People have been doing that around the world for a long time. And then other Christ followers in other countries are, are minorities, distinct minorities, persecuted minorities. Um, here's the challenge for us right now as American Christians. We have been in a position of dominance for a long time. And what it feels like is we're losing that. And the culture is becoming increasingly inhospitable to us. What are we going to do? Right. One option, hey, let's get it back. Let's get that power back. Let's get that dominance back. The other option, embrace the cruciform calling of Jesus Christ. You en embrace the calling of suffering of Jesus, to image Jesus in suffering. And, and, and every, every <laughs> Jesus' followers, they all celebrated in the, in the book of Acts. They celebrated when they were crucified, when they were persecuted, when they, when they were living in hard, hardship. This is a hard, hard call for us, especially in this time of history. Thanks for that. Okay, so heading towards the end, last yeah. but not least we have the last section, God's mission accomplished. And so this one was one that we received lots of questions about, lots of great conversations in community groups, uh, different people kind of reaching out, and yeah. which would make sense because this is the part that hasn't happened yet, right? So we, we're curious. We have lots of questions. Yeah. Okay, but there's one question that I have <laughs> that I was wondering about. Yes. I bet some people here maybe want to get to you. So, so how was on Mother's Day. So why did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I know, I know. It was an accident. It uh -huh. just happened to be we, that we way. Just, yeah. We just want to give Chris a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. No. He needs a little challenge. Yeah. Totally. No, no we, we, at the timing of it, we wanted to um, have Easter match up with resurrection. And I think once we had that, a lot of other things like a, a, a Love Madison came in and we're like, okay, we're kind of stuck with this. But we feel like, you know, Chris can pull it off, and he did a fantastic job. So if you, had a, if you um, want to hear a sermon, a great sermon on hell, go check out that one. Okay? It's fantastic, fantastic. On Mother's Day. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. 
Good. Well, uh, Charles, I have one more question for you before I do that. I just want to, on behalf of everybody, I think, thank you for using your gifts of teaching and just your love for scripture to um, just to help our community grow and understand the Bible in new ways and serving us in that way. So thanks, thanks for being willing to do that. Yeah. Okay. So one, one, one last question. As you were putting this together, so this is like 30,000 feet, right? So if you, as you were putting this together, you were thinking about us as Blackhawk Church. As a, your past kind of pastoral perspective, what were you hoping to do in us? How were you hoping that this series would shape us as a community? And do you think uh, it's been moving us in the right direction? I, I had um, various level of hopes. I, I think I think level one. I mean, I think, I think at the most basic level, what I was hoping for is that you will know the story. That you will actually be able to say, hey, here are the seven major plot points. And that if somebody were, were to ask you, hey, what is the Bible about? You'd be able to retell that to them. Not, not necessarily memorize the seven, seven plot points, but, but tell it in your own words. You would actually know, oh yeah, God creates this world and he's, he's called, you know, he, people rebel and God's called people, they rebel. And then Jesus comes and creates a new people. You should be able to know that story. I want that on that first level, and I hope we've accomplished that. Because what that does is, by once, knowing, once you know that story, it changes how you read the Bible. Right? Whenever, whatever section you're in, you go, oh, I'm in this part of the story. Oh, that makes sense now. Well, why is everything, everybody screwing up? Oh, that's in the God's people rebel section. Oh, I get it. Why is this book talking about the Holy Spirit nonstop? Oh, that's the, God, that's, the, that's the empowered people, got the empowered church section. Oh, I get it. Why is this all about Jesus? Oh, okay, I know what that's about. You know where you are in the story. And I hope that helps you in, in your growth with God. But on the next level, on the level of transformation, there's different ways to read the Bible, as you all know. For a lot of people, the Bible is kind of read as a kind of a chicken soup for the soul approach, right? You have... Scripture verses for when you're sad, when you're tired, when you're anxious, when you have a new job, when you have new kids. You got all these verses that just get tossed out there and you use it for inspiration. And I'm not saying anything wrong with that. That helps people. Absolutely does. Sometimes I'm going, oh, that verse. Oh, thank you so much. That verse really helped me today. Absolutely. Read the Bible that way. Okay? And there's other people who read the Bible as kind of a book of rules. I got to do this. This is a sin. This is not a sin. This is a sin. This is not a sin. And people read the Bible that way too. And there are people who read the Bible as a book of theology. I got to believe this. I got, that's wrong. That's right. That's wrong. That's right. Here's what happens when you read the Bible as a story. When you read the Bible as a story, it confronts you with this most important question. Do you believe it? You see, here's the problem with stories, right? We, we are in an age in almost, almost like overdose on stories. Netflix series, fantastic story Netflix. MCU, fantastic stories. We watch TV show, we, we, we watch movies, and they come and they go, great storytelling all over the place, but you watch them and then you're kind of done. Why is that? Because they're there to entertain you. The Bible as a story is not here to entertain us. The Bible claims to be the absolute true story of our world, the true story of humanity. And so you're confronted. When you read the Bible as a story, you're confronted. And I'm hoping you are confronted 
with this foundational question. Do you believe it? Do you believe it is the true story of our world? Because if you don't, it's mythology. Don't bother with it. But if you do, you got to do something about it. You have to do something about it. There are different ways in people, way we handle Christianity, right? Like some of us are like, oh, Christian faith is something we just do on the side. Every Sunday I come to church and the rest of the time, the rest of the time I don't worry about it. Right? right? The Christian faith is like, oh, I got my ticket to heaven. So I go to church, write a check every now and then, I'm done. Or Christian faith is, is a bunch of rules and I just need to follow it and live and be a good person. If the story of the Bible is true, you absolutely have to make it the center of your life. That is what it's calling for. Everything you do that flows out of the story becomes eternal. And the things that don't come out of that story, they fade away. The Bible says, I want you, I want the story to shape your dreams, to shape your ambition, to shape how you do your job, to shape every relationship you have, to shape everything you say, everything you think about. I want that story to be the root of it all. And what I'm hoping for with this series is that every single person in our church and people watching and joining us from wherever, you have that confrontation with the Bible. Awesome. Well, thanks, Charles. Um, let me pray for us as a community. So, Father, oh, Lord, we thank you for the story. God, we thank you uh, for being a God who cares, who cares about us, Lord, who um, who entered into this world to be with us, to, uh, to show your love um, to us and through us. And so, God, as we think about um, this story, Lord, we, um, God, we invite you. Lord, we invite you to use it to transform us. God, we say we want to partner with you in the work that you're doing here in Madison, Lord, in our neighborhoods, in our state, in our country, Lord, we want to partner with you in the way that you are revealing yourself to the world. And so God, I, I pray that you would um, continue, Lord, in these next weeks and months to continue to transform us, our hearts. Lord, help us to desire the things um, that you desire. Lord, help us to, uh, to, to model our lives after you. And God, I thank, thank you that we're able to do that, not as individuals, but Lord, in community, community with you and with one another. And so Lord, um, Lord, lead us in that. So God, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things.